0: Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. It is early evening on New Year's uh, Eve right now. And I'm still kind of in Christmas vacation mode. Um, didn't comb my hair or put on a nice shirt. Um, I, I'm actually kind of sick right now. Uh, and it was worse about a week ago. Um, I My poor in-laws, I, I went up to New York with my wife to celebrate Christmas. And, uh, you know, I, I had to check out of dinner. I had to check out of... Uh, church service that night, the Christmas Eve service, I was kind of in a corner huddled up and I won't, I'll spare you the details on the symptoms. Um, but then 1230 that night, I get up and I go to the restroom and I passed out at least twice, like blacked out on the floor. Uh, wake up that way. How did this happen? And just sweat pouring from my forehead. And it was kind of like a mini flu for 24 hours. So, um, I'm still recovering from that, which is why, uh, you can tell my, my nose is kind of stuffed up. Um, but I got ambitious, so it's kind of my fault. Um, I decided that I would go on a hike. I thought on Christmas Day that night, I, I thought I'm better now. So on Saturday, I decided to go on a hike with my brother and some friends. And uh, if you're watching on um, on YouTube, you can see there's a picture here. of uh, This is a waterfall in Minnewaska State Park in New York. And sometimes... Uh, the ice will actually create like a cone. It'll, it's a little warmer this year, so you don't see it as much, but it'll go like a third of the way up that falls. Um, but it's still pretty. You can see the icicles and uh, cold enough, though, to um, <laughs> bring some symptoms back around that I'm still dealing with. All that to say, uh, we are entering the new year here, and uh, that's an exciting time. I think of the John Wayne quote where he talks about every day comes to us as... Clean and hoping we learn something from the day before. And every year's like that. And hopefully, you have some resolutions, things that you want to change uh, in the next year. I know I want to be more disciplined in my devotional life. Um, I'd like to become, <laughs> whether you agree with Doug Wilson or not, I'd like to become in some ways more like uh, Doug Wilson. I was thinking about this today and I don't have like an actual formula for what it is I'm trying to do. But there's this idea of uh being a cheerful warrior and Doug Wilson seems to be this guy like nothing really gets to him he loves his family loves where he is in life loves his church and takes a stand for the truth that's uncompromising and I think we all need to learn to be more that way and again whether you like Doug Wilson or not he's just a guy that stands out to me as um having uh, in, in some sense mastered that and so that that's kind of that's the character that I'd like to inculcate in myself um and so <clears throat> How to get there obviously be in the word more uh, be in prayer but learn from men uh, who are like that and um, one of the reasons that we need that is because we are at a time right now that in christianity and evangelical institutions i'm talking about gospel coalition erlc sbc entities pca etc all the publishing companies um, where the world is really infringing on the church we're adopting categories from the world personalities ideas philosophies uh, for Christians for the church trying to get take our cues uh, from what they think and it's dangerous it's really dangerous and it, it's been happening for a while but I think it's become it's become worse and it just stands out to me this year I mean even you know the social justice fight which I focus on quite a bit that's just one component in this there's just a lot of ways that the world is infringing on the church and so I want to talk about that a little bit today I thought about doing something funny uh just because it is kind of like a christmas vacation (laughs) time and i'm in that mode and everyone else could probably use a laugh but um and and i think we will have one at the end by the way someone sent me a gospel coalition video that was just so ridiculous i I watched the first few minutes haven't watched the whole thing but we'll do it together and it hopefully it'll be funny but but a lot of the things that i was thinking of making fun of i just wanted to cry when i thought of it because i was like this is pathetic this is so pathetic and, you know, I was driving for about three hours today, and I was thinking about what I wanted to say, and, um, and I thought, you know, this needs to be a little more serious. We need to identify that this is a problem, because a lot of Christians don't see it, and we need to know how to approach it, I think. And so I'm gonna hopefully give you some ideas that will help us uh, along the, both of those uh, directions to understand what the problem is and how to approach it. Um, I wanna talk a little bit about the, the term world, uh, first of all, because look, here's the thing. The term world can be defined differently. Even in scripture, we see God so loved the world. And then in 1 John 2, uh, verse 16, wait, the world is the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. God doesn't love that, right? No, he doesn't. And so John is using the world in different ways, right? And um, you think of the Amish. The Amish uh, want to be separate from the world. So what do they do? They get rid of all their technology, uh, just about. They try to act like they're in the 1800s and live that way. And I think we would all agree that's an overreaction. I mean, the fact that you're listening to me right now, probably on iTunes or on YouTube, I mean, you're using technology that isn't necessarily Christian, right? I don't think Christians developed, uh, at least they didn't develop all the components that went into creating something like YouTube. So we we wear clothes that that weren't manufactured in the church. You know, we we engage in the world in some way, right? Where we just naturally do that. We don't have to purposely go out and do some cultural engagement. We're in the culture and that's how we live. Now, that's not wrong, right? Cuz I think we can recognize that in the time, in the biblical times, they did that as well. <laughs> they were using parchment and uh you know whatever rudimentary technologies they had. I'm sure Jesus for carpentry wasn't using you know, specifically, uh, was this, were these believers in the one true God who made this plane? You know, there's, he, he was using things that came in some ways from the world, but they were not come as if there's in the sense that their source was the world in the sense that um, they came from sinful ideas that uh, set themselves up against the Lord. Um, you can have a scientist or a mathematician, right? That goes out and finds truth, or even you know, pick your field. They they can find something that's true, and they're living on the borrowed capital from a Christian worldview in order to do it. I believe, but but they're they're doing it because they are approaching God's world and they're finding God's truth. That's different than allowing philosophies that undermine God's truth, that contradict God's truth, that are based on lies. Uh, that as i just pointed out in first john chapter two that um puff up pride in us uh that appeal to the lust of our flesh and the lust of our eyes you know th- that's in a different category and you can't be a christian and love those things that's what first john says and so um so i think there's there's a difference between those two things between uh the world in the sense of uh the technology of the world the um it, you know it's it's a different world we're talking about we're just talking material things. We're talking about uh, non-Christians can, because of common grace, they can engage um, the, the the world around them and come to some truthful conclusions, right? By trusting their senses, by using what God gave them. Uh, but then there are those who start out with faulty ideas, build philosophies on them. And uh, liberation theology is an example of that. Uh, uh, the Critical race theory we're dealing with is an example of that. Um, postmodernism is an example of that. These are things that they are false they're lies and they're systems of belief that have set themselves up against the knowledge of God so we have many verses that would tell us that Christians should not engage in Psalm 1 uh, Colossians I believe chapter two uh, as I just pointed out first John chapter 2 etc 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 and so we we need to define world and I, and so if we define it as the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life, philosophy is based on that, it's that system that I think we're off to, we're off. <laughs> we're on a good footing to start this off, because many times hiding behind amb- ambiguity can confuse the issue. And so uh, my question right off the bat here, and I'm going to go back to something I haven't talked about yet, because <laughs> it. The news broke right as I was recording my podcast from uh, about a week ago. And so I, I didn't have time to, to really include it. But what would cause evangelicals uh, to throw Trump, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, under the bus like Christianity Today did um, when 81 percent of evangelicals voted for him? This is a serious question. I want you to think about this because. of evangelicals thought how, whatever their logic was, whether it was just Trump is better than Hillary, or they thought he's going to be better for the pro-life cause because of the judges he'll appoint, whatever their logic was, 81% of them decided to pull the lever for Trump. And you have a big organization, big evangelical organization, Christianity Today, put out an article. against Trump by the, their chief editor, Mark Galley, who I believe is on his way out, if I'm not mistaken, which is probably why he was able to do this. Um, Trump should be removed from office is the title. And I I read this, and you know I wanna kind of give some, uh, some analysis, just short analysis to this uh, in, in hindsight, because we're past the big, I mean, there's been several responses that have been very good, and we're kind of past the time when uh, people have just analyzed this thing and been out about it. Uh, Now we're kind of moving on. What I'd like to suggest is that Christianity today has lost their sense of proportion, and it's not just them. I think many organizations have lost their sense of proportion. And what do I mean by that? Well, here's some quotes. We have reserved judgment on Mr. Trump for years now. So Mark Galley says. They've reserved uh, judgment on him. They haven't talked about him. Uh, they, They haven't said that he should be impeached. So stop right there and think about this for just one second. All of the things that Donald Trump has done uh, even before he was president, right? Uh, even with this um, scandal, the, the sex scandal uh, that took place, all, none of that <laughs> caused them to react the way that they're reacting now. It's important, right? Things that were actually in opposition to Christianity, right? And you could say, here's his character, and here's what the Bible says, and it doesn't match, and it doesn't seem like he cares. That wasn't enough. They, they reserved their judgment. Okay, fair enough. But now, for some reason, that's changed. And why has it changed? Well, here's the quote from the article. The President of the United States attempted to use his political power to coerce a foreign leader to harass and discredit one of the President's political opponents. That is not only a violation of the Constitution. More importantly, it is profoundly immoral. So the president should be impeached because of this whole phone call with the president of Ukraine in which, I mean, I've read the transcript that was released in which Donald Trump uh, asked uh, if he would work with the attorney general to look into a situation uh, with Joe Biden's son in which there was, cor- there was corruption going on, there was conflict of interest, and um it looked like Joe Biden, that the previous administration uh, had gotten in the way of prosecution. So, so, so there's political corruption. Donald Trump asks the president of Ukraine to look into it, to work, not even to look into it, to just work with the attorney general um, on, on looking into it. And because Joe Biden is running for president, this is viewed as a horrible, immoral thing, because It's conflict of interest, and Trump is just trying to do oppo research and make his opponent potentially in the 2020 election look bad. I haven't heard any left-wing source question what was going on with Hunter Biden, who uh, doesn't have, didn't have at least, any experience with oil and gasoline sitting on this company, uh, the board of this company in Ukraine. Um, The whole thing looks like nepotism. The whole thing looks like there's probably corruption that was going on and donald trump's comment is is less than forceful it's very offhanded it's hey if you could work with the eternal general that would be great that is what christianity today says because the democrats have chosen that as their issue to impeach donald trump which is unprecedented to be honest with you for for that to be the reasoning um christianity Today has now dogpiled with the democrats and said this is so immoral they're so outraged now look I'm open to the idea that there's reasons uh, if you want to, I mean, I'm so, I'm very constitutionalist, I guess. I, I mean, I think just about every president uh, since probably Abraham Lincoln. Uh, there's some exceptions in there, but most presidents have overstepped their constitutional boundaries. I think executive orders are so abused. I mean, I could go on, but uh, th- there are reasons I can think of constitutionally that you might want to get rid of Trump, but they would also apply to Obama. There are reasons morally why a Christian would say his character is, is, has not been good in the past and why we should denounce it, and I don't know. If you want to make an argument that that should lead to impeachment, then sure. But this is flimsy, and the only reason I can think of for Christianity Today to go this direction is because the Democrats went this direction. Now, remember what I said before. 81% of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. I don't think that Christianity today is doing this because they're principled. If they were principled, they would have chosen a different time. So their timing, in my opinion, is off. They're doing this when the Democrats are impeaching for a flimsy reason. Um, Their rationale is off. This is supposedly such a violation of the Constitution. How so? There's no proof. There really isn't. Um, They don't have an alternative I mean, are they just doing this because they really hope that Pence could get in there? I mean, it, it, again, that goes back to timing. That would have been something that you would have picked, you would have done years ago. You would have called for that. And, you know, to, to right on the cusp of an election to then try to hurt Donald Trump. Well, what's your alternative? Is it, is it Pete Is it, uh, you know, who who's going to be in there? Is it Biden himself that you'd rather have win? Um, and they're taking their cue from the Democratic Party. Now apparently Christianity Today's readership has gone up as a result of this. And they're an elitist magazine, there's no doubt. Uh, You know, there was a quote from Mark uh, Galley had said that this was making the rounds right after this article in a book recently that he didn't know anyone, no evangelicals that uh, had voted for Trump. Uh, He even called himself uh, an elitist. And, you know, he's Definitely living in a bubble, if what he said was true, because 81% voted for Donald Trump. So Christianity Today, though, has been on this path for a long time. i want to show you something. This is uh, from a book that I was recently reading by David Wells called No Place for Truth. I recommend it. <clears throat> Here's what he says about Christianity Today. Now, he's going back to 1989. He's comparing 1959 to 1989. And he says 20% of the magazine was given to covering religious news, 15% to reviewing books of serious scholarship, and 36% to expounding the content of the Bible and meaning of biblical doctrine for the modern world. That was in 1959. Three decades later, having responded to the suggestions of sophisticated marketing surveys, the editors had changed the content drastically. The news coverage was doubled from 20 to 40%. The book section was cut from 15 to 9%. And the biblical and doctrinal content was reduced from 36 to 8%. Listen to that biblical content reduced from 36 to 8%. In place of the former commitment to biblically uh, derived truth was a whole new interest in success stories about the churches and ministries, as well as personal testimonies. Uh, He goes on to talk about, um, there was a regular section in 1959 called a layman and his faith. And by 1989, he said this column was replaced and it, 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 he titled it, he said it, it should have been titled, The Lay People Look at Themselves. Um, it was about the pains of growing up, the pains of growing up as a fundamentalist kid, the pains of midlife crisis, problems of marriage, struggling with homosexuality, etc., cetera, et cetera. And, and here's the quote that I really want you to, you to think about. He says, in these three decades, the laity had apparently moved from a doctrinally framed faith, the central concern of which was truth to a therapeutically constructed faith the central concern of which was psychological survival christian truth went from being an end in itself to being merely merely the means to personal healing thus was biblical truth eclipsed by the self and holiness by the wholeness so that's what david wells has to say about christianity today and he wrote this in 1994 so 1994 <laughs> he's saying Christianity Today has gone worldly. That's what he's saying. And he's saying the, the reason for that is that, and I'm just going to give you his basic argument in the book, pastors are no longer pastors. They are therapists, uh, they're therapists. Um, <clears> they're <throat> organizers. They're managers is the word he uses. Uh, they are trying to seek legitimacy in a secular world by being something other than the shepherd of sheep. And we are down the path farther now. And now pastors are not only those two things, not just therapists, not just... Um, organizers, uh, managers, they are now community organizers. They they are trying to market themselves as having a social function. And Christianity itself now is trying to market themselves as having a social function, as an end in and of itself. Christianity has a social function. It's better for cultures when there's Christians. Even a cultural Christianity is better than paganism but that was never an end in and of itself. That was just the result. Well, now it's an end in and of itself. And you see this in Christianity today. You see this in gospel coalition. You see this in ERLC. They are trying to show the world what kind of contributions they have uh, to give. And they're trying to take their cues from the world as far as what they should be, what they think the world wants them to be. And this is a good example of that. Now, when I say the world again, um, Am I talking about technology? No, I'm not. I'm talking about the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. Where do you think that lives? What, what comes to your mind when I say that those phrases? Maybe the Hollywood, right? Maybe the pornographic business, the, the media, maybe a, maybe a woman who, or a doctor who would kill a baby before it's born uh, for the sake of convenience. I mean, does that strike you as maybe being consistent with lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life, sexual perm- promiscuity? Um, no rules at all, you can do what you want, uh, moral anarchy. What political party represents those things? It's not the Republican Party. Yeah, there's people in the Republican Party that are uh, real birds, right? <laughs> Donald Trump, uh, especially in the past, and I, I can't speak for him today, but in the past, yeah, he's <laughs> before he was president especially, he had affairs. He even bragged about them at times. There's Republicans who was very, very immoral but is that what the party has stood for? Or does the party allow evangelical Christians and their ideas from the Bible a seat at the table? They do. Democrats boo God. They don't let those things in. There's no place in the Democratic Party for those ideas. And so you have a party that is just completely attached to the moral depravity that exists in places like Hollywood and Las Vegas. And Uh, moral anarchy, um, sexual anarchy, and Christianity today, knowing all this, if they have even one eye opened, they have a problem with Donald Trump having a conversation with the president of Ukraine about corruption in Hunter Biden. Do you see how we've lost our sense of proportion? Do you see how... they? Rather than doing something you think would make sense, siding with the eighty-one percent of evangelicals who voted for Donald Trump, rather than doing that, they want to be—they want—they want to be in the good graces of—I'm going to say it—the world, this world system, and the world system has a political party that they love. It's called the Democratic Party. <laughs> All right, and I, look at their platforms, compare them. This isn't even really up for debate. So. Um, <laughs> I you can laugh or cry at that. I, I choose to cry right now, um, because it's just so sad to see this happening. But Christianity today is not a Christian magazine, in my opinion, anymore. Um, so this is this is where we're at, and this is why I think the social justice movement is proceeding the way it is. It's based on envy. It's it's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust. I want something. Lust of the eyes. It's the pride of life. It's not because of I, I didn't do this to myself. I didn't create the situation. You know what? It's it's someone else did it. Social justice is the what First John was warning about. It's part of that. It is a system that is consistent with what First John is warning about. It is the whole thing runs off of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. I'm so good. I'm not responsible for the situation that I'm in. It's someone else's fault. I want what they have, right? And I want to hurt them. <laughs> So Christians are now forwarding the same ideas that you hear in the secular world that have sinful uh, ideas at their base, sinful inclinations. Now, I was listening. I I think this is good to talk about here. Um, There's actually, I'm going to talk about some articles real quick um, where I see the world coming in in pathetic ways. So here's... uh, Here's an article that came out in the Gospel Coalition earlier this year. This is from May. What Western Christians can learn from the BTS phenomenon. What Christians can learn from the BTS phenomenon. So this is like a, a Korean pop uh, group. And here are the three points to the article. The next generation church is more open to diversity and willing to be influenced by diverse leaders and influencers. Okay. The next generation church ought to look more diverse. Okay. And the next Billy Graham may not be white. Fine with me. This is James Choi who wrote this. Now, this is something, number one, that this whole emphasis on diversity, I don't see that in the Bible. I see the emphasis in the Bible on unity, not diversity. How we can be diverse and we come together and we're unified in Christ, right? So the emphasis is just way off, first of all. But secondly, um, why do we have to go to Korean boys band to learn this? I give you exhibit B. This is uh, an article that came out, I think, in November. Uh, Russell Moore put it out. It was featured on Gospel Coalition. I found it through the ERLC. What the Church Can Learn from Sesame Street. And here's a quote. Uh, I wonder what would happen if our churches were to recognize our role in showing people the future, not just in our teaching and in our going, but in our being. (laughs) Okay, I have to laugh a little. Russell Moore, he he, he can say a lot of things without saying much. (laughs) What kind of witness could be to our communities? Uh, could we be to our communities as fragmented as they are by race and class and economics and politics? If the very makeup of our congregations signaled the manifold wisdom of God in which there here is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, etc., what if our children were accustomed to seeking to seeing black pastors of majority white churches and vice versa? What if a hotel janitor were named chairman of deacons in a wealthy suburban megachurch, because all recognized his spiritual maturity and nothing else mattered? What if our church has pioneered tort reform, not by arbitration alone, but by Christians agreeing cheerfully to be defrauded? And what? If, <laughs> and what if all that started to seem normal to us? All right, with I, I don't have time to get sucked into the weeds on this one. That's what he got from Sesame Street, though. That's what he got from Sesame Street, because Sesame Street was showing diversity uh, bef- before, like civil rights l- legislation, I guess, and before integration was happening. F- Full, although I don't even know if that's true. That was kind of simultaneous. But they, the idea is that Sesame Street was um, encouraging diversity in communities. Can't the church do that? Can't the church encourage diversity? So it's similar to the other article. But again, emphasis in scripture is on unity, not diversity. And then to make those things an end in, uh, in and of themselves. That's what's weird about this whole thing. If, look, I, I've been to churches where you have guys who are, you know, you have rich people that aren't in leadership, and you have people that aren't that rich um, that are in positions of leadership. And um, I've seen churches, I mean, the church I grew up in, um, most of the time growing up, it was mostly Caucasian. I didn't really think about it. Um, and we did have um, some leaders who were uh, of different ethnicities, whether it's Latino or um, African American. So I, I don't really have a problem with any of those things, but we didn't pursue it. Like we're going to, you know, like Sesame street, we're going to like purposely make episodes. We're going to purposely put these people in leadership just to change the culture. Like the culture naturally changes as you just apply the gospel. Right. So. You could point out that, Hey, if you're in a church that is racist and they don't allow people of certain socioeconomic backgrounds to become leaders or certain ethnicities to become leaders, then that's not consistent with what we learn in scripture. That's fine. Point that out, but then don't do something like, well, we're going to figure, we're going to take those cues from Sesame street. And furthermore, uh, we're going to make that an end in and of itself that everyone's just got to like push to make this happen. It, It, that's kind of what I'm talking about when I say the church is going in a worldly direction. I think that article is that well. It's a good example. Exhibit B. Here's Exhibit C. This just came out from the seminary that I went to, uh, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Their Intersect Project. They put out this article, uniting around a baby. What Baby Yoda can teach us about Christmas. And here's a quote, in a time of dissension, social media rage and ideological anger, a baby does unite us. Not a tiny green force, sensitive toddler in a galaxy far, far away, but a baby born in Bethlehem. We unite around the God who brings salvation to all. At Christmas, we remember that though we are different, though we are often divided, we have something deep and dear that draws us together, a baby who is Christ the Lord. Here's what's kind of ridiculous about this. What do Baby Yoda and Baby Jesus have in common? Nothing, other than they're babies and people like them. And so, here's the ridiculous part of this: somehow the church needs the world needs needs Hollywood, <laughs> Baby Yoda, to tell them at Christmas time, a time when everyone, even people who are in the world who aren't Christians, uh, recognize who Baby Jesus is. That's the time that they need Baby Yoda to tell them that babies bring people together. I mean, you're, you are grasping at straws. I, I just, this is embarrassing. This is the seminary I went to. And Danny Akin's in a controversy right now for James Cohn and Liberation Theology. But this this didn't create, maybe because it's so ridiculous, like it, it couldn't create a controversy because it's like, where's it's not heresy. It's just weird. It's just ridiculous. So, <laughs> so, so here's what's going on. Christians are adopting uh, characters, in this case, um, ideas from the world to forward, as an end in and of itself, a moral objective. Um, diversity in the first two, we need to be more diverse. We're going to look to the world for that. Uh, in this case, it was uniting around a baby. We're going gonna to attract people because babies are cute. Because that's why people like Baby Yoda. Jesus is also cute, I guess. And so... we. we you can learn from the world, not the world system, like First John talks about, but you can learn from the world things like where to build your church. <laughs> you know, Someone does a geographic survey, and oh, there's you don't want to build it here, you want to build it here. You can learn about your community. What's the best way to communicate with them so that they'll actually see it? Do people go on Facebook? Do people read the newspaper here? There's things you can learn from people who are not saved. But you cannot learn uh, things that you shouldn't learn uh, Things that are directly um, essential and related to your mission and your purpose as a church, we've been given a whole book <laughs> that talks about how to engage with the world on that level, um, and we can we can become you know unified and and we have a, a unity that's out of diversity. And we do that just by doing what Christians have done for years and what they should be doing, what the Bible recommends and and tells them to do. You don't go to the world to figure those things out. And I think people from the world who look at this probably think it's just absolutely pathetic. I mean, why become a Christian? We're not unique. Apparently we need baby Yoda to even teach us about how attractive Jesus is. Uh, Scripture's not sufficient. If that's true, we, we need something else, which is, by the way, why liberation theology, critical race theory, intersectionality, etc. It's why it's being taught, guys. It's because they have a low view of, of Scripture. It's not sufficient. We need something extra. And it's not an extra illustration of what Scripture teaches, right? You, you, you can do that with some of the Roman or Greek poets. You know, Paul even does that. You can quote them and, oh, yeah, they discovered something that was true, that was already true. No, this is these are things that are antithetical. Systems built on lust of the flesh, lust of the, of the eyes, boastful pride of life. Um, that's literally what social justice is. Like It's foundationally built on that. Uh, you want stuff, you want uh, stuff that you don't have, and you don't want to feel like it's your fault that you don't have it, well, social justice, right? Uh, you, th- we can create a system that will allocate those resources to you and punish those who supposedly took them from you you don 't take personal responsibility. you keep your pride right boastful pride of life and um, you get to get the things that you have the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh for uh, and with no uh, consequences you don 't you don 't you don't have a guilty conscience because it was morally right to do these things. Christians are getting involved in this um, it 's sad it really is. I was reading um, a, a book uh, by Richard Mao, I think is how you pronounce his name. He, was, he taught at Calvin for years. He's, um, he's a guy who got radicalized in the 60s on a secular college campus, uh, like left-leaning uh, highly. I mean, he, I think he uh, signed the AND campaign, so he's still involved, still around, uh, very into Abraham Kuyper's theology. And I think I would credit him as being one of the major players, if not the major player, to introduce Kuyper's theology to the greater evangelical world. Now, if you, you may not know who he is, but Tim Keller likes Kuyper. Uh, where I went to school, Bruce Ashford, uh, provost at Southeastern, loves Kuyper, named his kid Kuyper, one of them. Uh, that's how much he loves him. And uh, there's a sense in, in Richard Mao's understanding of Kuyper in which sin gets flatlined because all sin gets reduced down to idolatry. And I don't know if Kuiper really believed that, but that's how Richard Mount portrays Kuyper. And what that means is that if someone's, uh, let's say someone's a homosexual, they're in sin, right? But you could also be sinful because you idolize Bible reading, let's say. Now, is there really a moral equivalence between reading the Bible and engaging in behavior that the Bible says is wrong? No. (laughs) But because it's potentially possible that anything can be an idol, then sin gets flatlined. And maybe some of you are hearing this and lights are going off because you're thinking, that's what I heard in Bible study. You know, we have a Tim Keller Bible study or something, and they're talking about idols like, you know, like racism is a big one. You know, racism can be an idol in my heart that I don't even realize is there. But you end up doing this deep dive. You go so deep into your heart to try to find out what are the idols. And we do have them, we do have idols. But you come out with things like, Man, I just like love my hobby too much, or man, I love my kids too much, or making them an idol. It's possible to do that. But then to on the things that God says specifically in multiple instances are absolutely wrong, we just say, Well, that it's the same somehow. It's a moral flatlining. Sin is uh sin all sin is is equal in some way. And um, Gospel Coalition does this quite a bit. You know, the Dem- Democrats do something completely antithetical to Christian worldview, and bring some kind of barbarism in. And then the reaction, instead of getting enraged, uh, and for the things that God is outraged about, right? That's the prophetic voice. But that's to them, that's not a that's not having a prophetic voice. It's not winsome enough. Having a prophetic voice in their mind is <laughs> is going to the church and pointing a finger at the church, and that's what they do. instead of going to the world and saying how, you know, thus saith the Lord, what you've done is evil. They take that opportunity when the world does something wrong. And then they go to the church and say, well, what about the idols in your heart? What do you think you're so much better? And and you don't see this anywhere in scripture. I can't think of one place you see that that's the reaction. It's like prophets doing that, especially. Yeah. Prophets go to the house of Israel and say, you need to get your things in order. Right. And you obviously want to keep pride from coming in that's like i'm better than someone just because they have this problem but you see when the things that the lord hates are done there's an outrage against those things because the lord hates them that's the prophetic voice right and there are times there you know pick another opportunity to go after the sins that your congregation has but but anyway i'm going on a tangent now (laughs) but we need to watch out for this whole like uh, sin being flatlined uh, concept. There's a reason that God uses the word toevah in the Old Testament, abomination to talk about certain sins. There's a reason that the towns that Jesus went to uh, that received so much light and didn't repent, it was going to be worse for them on the day of judgment than for Sodom and Gomorrah. They, sin is not necessarily flatlined, right? There are things that God hates more than other things. doesn't mean that all sin is not equally damnable because it is. Um, I want to I go through these articles real quick, and I want you to ask yourself, what's the church lacking in each of these circumstances, right? So let's start with the last one. Let's start with Baby Yoda. So what's the church lacking? It's not cute enough. It can't bring people together, So I guess. We can't unite for some reason. Um, and it says in the time of dissension, social media rage, ideological anger. There's a lot of anger going on, and the church isn't presenting their Baby Yoda face. <laughs> They're not presenting the cuteness that they have that could maybe put an end to that right so that that's the angle that the church should take on this what about this one sesame street church isn't diverse enough church is racist that's the hidden assumption in this church is just so racist um they they need to get over themselves and they need to uh if you're a white church you need to hire a black pastor your black church hire a white pastor you need to Make sure that uh, you're jan- you have janitors in leadership, and like if you're in a church that doesn't look like that, well, maybe there's a problem. What about this one? Um, the church again, diversity uh, with the whole K-pop phenomenon. The church needs to uh, these, <laughs> I guess these North, these South Korean um, artists. They're popular across cultural lines. The church should be popular across cultural lines, and it's a problem that they're not. So in in every circumstance, uh, the church has something it's lacking and the world has, and we need to somehow learn it from the world. So um, the the church is not, scripture is not sufficient. Ungodly people have no reason to come to the church if that's the case. We're learning from them, right? So they got something down we don't. Um, And uh, usually there's a theme in a lot of books lately that's common grace. Common grace is just... Man, they're not, they, we got stuff to learn from them, and we, we're so much more sinful, like, because oh, of common grace and misunderstanding, misapplication of common grace. Uh, but we, we have to go to them to get our understanding of these things. And I, I want to point out uh, what Psalm 1 says. I want to read it How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night why not get back to that? Why not get back to the law of the Lord, meditating on it? Can we honestly say that we do that? Can we honestly say that the Gospel Coalition and the ERLC are putting out articles that help us do that? Or are they putting out nonsense? What about this? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you and a morality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone else Uh, someone has his father's wife, that you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. Now, if this situation presented itself today, what do you think would happen? I'll tell you what I think. There would be a Caring Well conference hosted by the ERLC, and you'd have the circling of wagons going on with all the evangelical institutions that we have a problem in the church, right? And we need to do something about it. Maybe we should go to the Houston Chronicle. Maybe we should. I mean, look, Paul's even saying the wor- the world doesn't even do what you guys just did. Which you're, this kind of sin you're accepting. And by the way, this is they're, it's tolerance. They're tolerating a sin, right? So the non-believers don't even tolerate that kind of sin. So maybe they should go to the non-believers. Maybe They should go to the Houston Chronicle and then leak all the abuses that have happened that are similar to what happened in First Corinthians and uh, just mourn and lament. That's the key word, lament, uh, the evil that's going on in the church. Maybe that's what they should do. Well, that's not what they did. That's not what they did at all. In fact, what did they do? What did they do? Check out what the very next chapter says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have law courts dealing with the matters of this life, you, uh, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame, it, is it so that there is among not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren, but brother goes to law with brother and that before unbelievers? Actually, then it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud you do this even to your brethren or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor and there's a whole vice list um, that if i continue reading this is a separate issue this is christians suing each other it's very next chapter though paul doesn't set up the world as arbiters as examples they are, they're wicked. He sets up sinners as who they are. They're wicked. They're characterized by their wickedness. They're not characterized by common grace. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's not what scripture tells us. They're characterized by their wickedness. And we don't go to them to judge or arbitrate or for moral authority in things that happen inside the church. That's exactly what's happened this year. Think about the the kinds of things the kinds of events and the kinds of things that have been published about sin this year what sins were so evil well racism certainly was very evil uh, abuse sexual abuse within the church very very evil and i'm not saying those things aren't um what do we have conferences on the evil of homosexuality though and how uh, we can uh, how the gospel actually can deliver from that nope <laughs> we don't um, we have certain sins that are popular and th- th- that we, we try to have grace on. You know, we have, have to have grace. We have to be winsome. We have to be very loving about those things. But then our temperament can be absolute rage when it comes to, we lack diversity. Let's publish a million articles against the fact that the church isn't diverse enough, even though, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of churches and like what it was a church in Iowa was supposed to do all, all around them is just people of, you know, there's certain towns that are just Dutch or just German or just Anglo or whatever. So it's, it's taking a new um, moral code that is coming from the world and it's implementing in the church. And this is how it's doing it. You need to take your cues from the world. So we are undergoing a seismic shift, and I think most of us don't realize it's actually happening. There's a new Ten Commandments. The old ones uh, we're going to underemphasize a lot of them. We're not. When was the last time you heard a good sermon on, you know, even blasphemy or gluttony or, um, I don't know, children? How about obedience to parents? The things God cares about. He talks about this stuff, but you hear a lot about diversity. Tell me how many Bible verses uh, that you can find where God's just very upset that a church isn't diverse enough. Tells you where the priority is in the emphasis, and it's changing, and it's not biblical, guys. And it's scary if you really start to think about it and you're really paying attention to uh, the, what's going on in evangelical institutions. Now, that brings me to this this situation uh, just erupted last night. And there's some assumptions that have come out of this that show that there's a lot of people who believe biblical theology is not enough. And I think one of the things that concerns me is the historical record gets ransacked to prove this sometimes. i gonna show you what I mean. Danny Aiken said, James Cone was a heretic and almost certainly not a Christian based on his teachings. Almost certainly. Uh, I'll say certainly. <laughs> but to understand him, you should and must read him. I have. I have. Um, then you provide a fair, honest and balanced critique that is basic requirement for good education. Now, what's he responding to? This guy, David Campbell says, how can I trust Southeastern when it legitimizes the heresies of Dr. Cone? Now, here's the truth. Southeastern does not legitimize every single heresy of Dr. Cone, right? Um, It legitimizes only some (laughs) and it legitimizes really what I think is the core aspect of the liberation theology, Jesus identifying with the oppressed. That's the, it changes the reason why Jesus came. And so they tack that on as that's one of the reasons. Now I have read James Cone and I can tell you unequivocally, he is a heretic and James White is absolutely right. When he compares James Cone to Joseph Smith, they're equally heretical. (laughs) They both have false gospels. Look, if you read, this doesn't get brought out a lot, but if you read James Cone's last book, which I did, Um, he talks about even homosexuality and the oppressors uh, being straight people and the oppressed being homosexuals. Like James Cone is a Marxist. James Cone is evil. And James Cone has no place being taught positively at a seminary, but he is being taught positively at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I've given you proof in the past and there will be more proof coming out next year about this. Now, that's indicative of uh, whoever's teaching this, they don't, do not believe that the Bible is sufficient. They wouldn't need to teach it, right? They would teach it in an apologetics course, and this would be the guy that they need to teach against. And that's been Southeastern's defense for a long time. We're just teaching against it, and they're, they're not. <laughs> they're teaching positively. But then Danny Akin says this, he goes, though his writings and statements give me pause and great concern for a soul. If when I get to heaven, I discover that James Cone is there. I will humbly, gladly and joyfully greet him as my brother in Christ, as we together worship Jesus, King Jesus for his amazing salvation and grace. <laughs> Would you say this about, I mean, look, could Adolf Hitler be in heaven? I mean, could Joseph Stalin be in heaven? What about David Duke when he dies? Is he, is he going to be in heaven? Uh What, I mean, I'm picking the guy, you know, these, these aren't, Good guys. These are the the villains of history, right? But I don't. I can't see Danny Aiken being like, well, I don't know. You never know what Hitler was thinking the last, final moments before he took his life. Maybe he's in heaven. Maybe I'll see him there. That sounds absolutely ridiculous. We don't talk that way. But for some reason, with James Cohn, we can talk that way. If I meet, you know, J- James White had a good one. He said he just with Joseph Smith. Well, if when I get to heaven, I meet Joseph Smith. That's insane. <laughs> Why would you say that? I mean, I guess it's always possible Then, almost always in the last few minutes before someone dies, perhaps you you would always hope that there's a repentance there and only God really knows what they were thinking and if they put their trust in him. But there's no indication that James Cone repented. In fact, just the opposite. He was the worst at the end of his life. So, um, So <laughs> to say this is very imbalanced, right? And And he got in trouble for it here's some of the things that uh, i wanted to show you though that were said about this particular tweet jamar tisby just in case you didn't know it's james cone's blackness more than his theology that some people so are so ready to condemn and call heresy now that's just slander right he wrote color of compromise he's on the christian speaking circuit um this is i think he's pca if i'm not mistaken and uh, jamar tisby is lying now about his brothers and sisters in christ give me one example of someone who says you know what james Cohn's theology is not a problem i just don't like the fact that he's black give me one example there are none there and and to then broad brush it and say that that's everyone that's just everyone who has a problem with james Cohn, that's yeah they're just racists well it's lie it's lying it's slander um there's no evidence for it it's sin there, there's just no way around it and i i have to ask you if a man like this will slander christians in the present day what makes you think he's a good historian and he's not slandering christians of the past now i know a little bit about history and i know that jamar tisby is not a good historian uh, he's a cherry picker he goes back into the historical record and he picks the things That will forward his narrative which is that racism does not change i'm sorry racism does not go away it just adapts it changes it's always there it's there now it was there then and um and he ignores information that would take away from his central thesis and there's some that have written on this and pointed this out i am concerned and i and i just want to say this for my listeners in in the coming year i really would like to get to some uh, podcasts on his, on some historical subjects. Because I'm, I'm very concerned that we are going back as Christians now, and this has happened in the last few years, into the historical record. We are parroting what now Marxist leftists, which dominate the historical field, are saying about our past. And we are then using that to say the word of God is really just not enough. Man, look at all the racists uh, that existed. Look at the formation of the Southern Baptist Convention. They did it because of racism. Yeah, we'll do an episode on that sometime. Did they really? They did it because of racism. They just hate uh, people that were minorities, and the gospel just made no difference. I guess we need something else. They had the gospel. They had the Bible. Well, well, what did they lack? They lacked neo-Marxism. They lacked liberation theology. Guys, this is how it's coming in, right? This is the argument if you haven't figured it out, and, and conservatives are very quick to give up the historical debate like well, we, oh whatever happened in the past is the past let 's talk about now no that 's the way that they're you that they're using a a false narrative from history, a imbalanced narrative saying giving you some true things and then leaving out some things or sometimes manufacturing things, and they're giving you this idea that well, Christians had the Bible, they had um everything they needed for life and godliness and uh Well, they were still a bunch of wicked, evil sinners uh, of the worst variety, and we we need something else. That's where James Cone comes in. Why else teach them? Why else teach ideas that are antithetical outside of Scripture like this on ethical matters? So there's an assumption that we need to teach James Cone because biblical theology uh, is not enough. Let me show you some other tweets here. Here's uh, someone. (laughs) The name cracks me up a little. Jezebel okay, I didn't name her, Jezebel Henney. And she is a contributor for The Witness, which is an evangelical, um, I guess it's a blog website. She's an author. I haven't looked at her book, but uh, she's got kind of a following, right? You know, over 8,000 followers on Twitter. She says, I wish white theologians would keep their mouths off James Cone unless they're putting respect on his name. Y'all think y'all still own everything and everybody. (laughs) What? (laughs) You... Y'all still think you know everything and everybody. Another slanderous claim. Um, it, it's also a blanket statement. Um, I, I certainly don't think I own everyone and everybody. Nope, don't think that at all. Um, and I have read James Cone and he is a heretic. And um, yeah, there, there's nothing motivating me that if, that's racist or thinks that I own James Cone or I mean, this is just ridiculous. This is a moral argument. It's an emotional argument. And that's what's passing for someone who's an author and works uh, as a contributor at an evangelical uh, think tank. Okay. Here's another one. Charles Halton. Uh, Apparently he teaches, I think it's Houston Baptist Seminary uh, or University. Um, Anyway, there's a video here uh, for Zondervan. I guess they're advertising a book Uh, because that's what Zondervan does. But you can see he's integrated into the evangelical um, movement because of that Zondervan connection and where he teaches. And here's what he says. President of a seminary in a denomination created, so the Southern Baptist, right? Denomination created to theologically support slavery refuses to legitimize one of the greatest contemporary theologians who happens to be black. As if Cohn needs his or anyone else's legitimization, the SBC is sticking close to their roots. So this just gives you an idea of how crazy things are. You have a guy, an evangelical, guy, works somehow is a, connected with Zondervan. You have a guy who looks at Danny Aiken and says, Danny Aiken, he is just like those racist founders of the Southern Baptist Convention. Wow. <laughs> I'm some of those conservatives are looking at Danny Aiken and we're saying, why are you saying you'd meet this guy in heaven? You're a liberal. And this guy's saying, no, Danny Aiken is is he's just like a Basically, why don't you just say he's a Klansman while you're at it, you know? Like, that's kind of the argument. And um, and that's, not only is that ridiculous, but it's scary. Because where does that put those who just don't buy into liberation theology? Oh, they're a bunch of racists. That's the only reason they wouldn't buy into it. A bunch of racists. Um, he's not exactly correct about the formation of the Southern Baptist Convention and we will, I will have to do an episode on that sometime. But you know, worst-case scenario, Southern Baptist Convention formed by a bunch of Klansmen that just hated minorities, let's say. Really? Danny a- That's who Danny Aiken is? That shows you how left things are going. Someone who's connected with Zondervan, someone who teaches at uh, Houston Baptist uh, University, uh, can say that. So we we got some real leftists uh, in, in evangelicalism right now. But is that that different? Is, is it so different from what Danny Aiken himself says? Listen to this. This is from... Um, this year, I believe Danny Akin said this, uh, in chapel at Southeastern,
1: we stand steadfastly against any type of evil or
0: wickedness that exalts any type of racial superiority, white supremacy, neo-Nazis, biggest and racist. We will mark that for what it is, sin, evil, and wickedness. And I recognize that for a denomination that
1: still bears the stain of racism. We have work to be done. So
0: (laughs) this is the man that was just accused of being a racist. And he's saying the same thing. He's saying, you know, notice he didn't talk about Black Lives Matter or the Black Panthers or any other, you know, La Raza. He only talks about the white nationalist or supremacist groups. And so, so that's, that's what he's denouncing. And sure, we should denounce white supremacy, right? Not arguing with that, but he's lopsided. He's only denouncing that. And then we have a problem in our denomination and we still have, it hasn't changed, still have that stain of racism. And I don't know if you got that from Al Mohler. Al Mohler has said that a lot over the years. We still got that stain. What do you do with a stain? Let me ask you. What do you do when you have a stain on a shirt? Don't you try everything to get it out? Yeah, you do. Uh, I mean, you give up and then go to the dry cleaners eventually. But you try everything because you don't want to stain. That's how the, this language is being used. Stain of racism. It's something we want to get away from. We don't want that. It's so horrible. And it's just put out there like everyone just knows it's true. It's just it's it's as if the, the comments I just read to you, it's as if there's a whole group of evangelicals. And I don't even know if they're, I mean, they they use... They're in organizations that call themselves evangelical. They have this understanding that white people are just a bunch of racists and we're not gonna be challenged on it. We're not gonna argue for it. We just assume everyone knows it. It's slander, where's it coming from? Is it coming from inside the church? Or is it coming from the world? So going into 2020 let's try to recognize this when we see it and use some discernment. Um, I'm to the point, I just, I do not want people that I'm responsible for reading some of these blogs because I'm afraid they're gonna, over, over time, you read this stuff enough and you start to develop the assumptions. You just adopt them uh, that these people have. And I don't want my wife or if I if I had kids that were of the age that they could read this stuff, I just wouldn't want them to be adopting those assumptions. Um, but I realize that uh, for a lot of us, those things are so prevalent that they're going to be in our face, especially if you're a seminary student. You're going to just see things all the time, and it's important to critically examine them. What's the article trying to communicate? What's the sense of it? What's the purpose of it? So um, so, so, there's my year in review for <laughs> kind of what, what's happened in evangelicalism this year and how worldliness has kind of... Crept into the church. What I'd like to do um, is watch this. This is supposed to be more humorous, I guess. Here's the impression I get. This is why I want to end it with this. Well, we just saw Jamar Tisby, right? Historian who's um, works, you know, does contribute contributions to evangelical uh, organizations. They have their theologians, right? Um, I don't think they have their economists. Like they, they need a good Keynesian economist to come work for Gospel Coalition or something because. This is what this is what we have, and I haven't watched this whole video, but uh, I, I think it's going to intrigue you a little bit. And I don't know, it, it's I don't know, it's kind of funny. So here we go.
1: Yeah. Okay. Thinking Christianly about the economy here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think <laughs> the first thing I would just want to start saying with that is the Bible has so much to say about economics. Mm-hmm. Uh, big picture small picture and so we don't have this narrow Christian view of the economy we have this holistic view of for an economy to be healthy you have so many factors that that need to be at play you need supply and demand to be operating in a in a wonderful way like we have a real problem with that right now in silicon
0: (laughs) so many factors you know supply demand so many
1: Valley because the demand for uh, jobs is is massive. The demand for housing is massive. Uh, but the housing supply is so small and, and it's so, so expensive. Mm-hmm. And so it's constantly forcing people out of Silicon Valley who can no longer afford to live there. Right. Median price for a home now in Silicon Valley is $1.3 million. And so it's, it's just outrageous. Do, do you think maybe that has something to do
0: with Maybe government regulation and taxation and high crime rates and the homelessness uh, issue that you'd have to um, contend with in other parts uh, near the Bay Area. I mean, look, I'm from California. I
1: was just there. This um, so is Like way oversimplification. Uh, it's it's the most expensive place in in America yeah, right now. There's a reason to, for that to live. So. On the one hand you could say the economy is healthy in Silicon Valley because there are so many jobs. Right. But you could also say it's not healthy because the supply of housing is so poor and so it it creates a less diverse economy socioeconomically um, because people are forced to to move out and right. a lot there are a lot of a less diverse economy. <laughs> the diversity thing it comes up even in this years right now of Will Silicon Valley become just this economy of the elite of of um, tech people, of high level of, of white collar work, of executives?
0: And do you say that like in coal country, right? You're like, there's a problem, man. In Appalachia, just so many people employed in the coal industry, not diverse enough. Like, or or is it that there's certain places that certain industries tend to embed themselves for a variety of reasons, not. Uh, <laughs> natural resources i mean that 's where the coal is <laughs> that could be part of it. Um, some companies go places because to be, to be around other companies uh, think tanks are going to be in a place that has like a capital city i mean uh, <laughs> that 's impossible
1: you can't you... blue collar work is that is that going to leave now it can 't leave because it 's there to serve you know the, these other the industry has to be served by people doing that doing that work but they're not living there and they're living far away and commuting in.
2: Yeah, no, uh, I may
0: ask you a question. Is Detroit, I just thought of this, is Detroit like, man, it's like a really good economy in some ways because the housing prices are so low. I mean, you can go get a house for like a thousand bucks, but there's just no jobs. Like (laughs) by his logic, Detroit in one way, in one sense has a good economy. And San Francisco in one sense has a good economy for opposite reasons. I, there he's coming up with on the spot a metric by which to
2: um, judge an economy I think like um, I think there's like a not a huge divide um, that I typically think of between a Christian econ economics and, and regular economics <laughs> Christian economics regular economics okay I think like um people uh that are outside of christianity desire productivity creativity yeah. and 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 I'd say like justice Flour- the flourishing yeah, of, the their, flur-
1: of their city the of flourishing, their yeah, yeah yeah so
2: I don't, I don't think like uh those that are in San Francisco that are in government are 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 stoked about um you know l- folks that can't afford housing I think yeah. that <laughs> <sighs> oh.
0: I have to see that again
2: <laughs> and are, are, are stoked about, um, you know, folks that can't afford housing. I think yeah. that, yes, the politicians in San Francisco, not stoked about that. Not stoked at all. Uh, um, they would lo- love to see what I would consider like justice, which would be like equal opportunities for, for people in different races and different socioeconomic. Backgrounds, uh, the ability to afford housing, um, and and, and, um, we would we would uh, love those things as well. I think like so. So here's I was just it was in San Francisco
0: earlier this year. We got robbed while we were there. There the streets are lined with homeless people. Like even like by Nordstrom's, people are defecating in the street, vandalizing buildings. Buildings there's certain buildings that don't eat like a coffee shop. My wife wanted to go to couldn't even advertise that they were there. They had boarded up windows because. People had vandalized it. It that's San Francisco. It's crime. When I was going into the city, there a politician was talking about taking certain weapons away from police officers so they couldn't be stolen. Um, I think th- they did something. I forget this year with the NRA. Like, I don't know. The city council voted to. I don't know. I heard some rumor that they were a hate group or something, but I, I can't verify that on the fly. But they're definitely a very highly taxed very expensive place to live um the economy like i remember one of the things that really struck me about san francisco is so many people that were probably in their 40s that just were like hanging out with like peer groups i didn't see as many families um really immoral city uh just there's there's so many like basic like biblical things you could look at and say like yeah they're not doing it right (laughs) according like the culture there is is a little more like sodom than say I don't know, uh, you know, Rose Hill, Mississippi, like it's, it's just, it's a different place. And, um, (laughs) to to then invoke that there's justice isn't happening because wow, like like the homeless can't get jobs. It can't like, look guys, like I, there's places that are hiring in San Francisco and I don't know every circumstance of every homeless person, but I do know this, there's a ton of them and they are being. They, they live because they are being supplied by the state. It's socialism on display in San Francisco right now. And anyone who lives there in San Francisco or LA, they know that California is basically becoming a failed state very, very quickly. Businesses are moving out of areas where they have these problems with homeless because um, they, they, they can't get anyone to come and just clean up waste that's left in front of their business. Um, basic stuff like that so then to to invoke that like justice isn't happening like oh we just got to, like it's the system's
2: fault or something like
0: yeah it's the system's fault in the sense that they're 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 enabling this to take place
2: um the the difference maybe for some uh christians is that from uh from a christian perspective even in a down market god's always uh Working in somewhere like during 9 11 and all that, New York saw like this huge like revival. Um, and uh, you know, th- they say that like tides didn't really go down during that time, church attendance yeah. was up, things like that. Uh, I lived in New York during 9 11, there was not a huge revival. Oh, you know, whether that addresses economics and um whether that's a healthy economic environment is, yeah. is a, is, those are kind of separate yeah. questions, whether yeah. like there's but a spiritual. I think, and I think what, what does make
1: it a healthy economic environment is it's a resetting of the economic environment. Right. Like if, if capitalism is doing its job, realizing, oh, this, this way we were operating the subprime mortgages, uh, those, those weren't bad. Right. Those are not good. Sure. We're not, yeah. we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. And so there's going to be a reset. I don't think he understands the subprime mortgage issue. That in how we think about mortgages and how we and how we extend loans so i think that's a great point to keep in mind that god's always at work even when the stock market's tanking when the economy's down when a recession is happening uh the that's laying the groundwork for a healthier economy moving forward if we're being humble and if we're learning from it
2: yeah and it-
0: i I'm, I'm like struggling for words at this point like i guess <laughs> like god's always working he's working in a good economy a bad economy booms and busters cycles of the economy god's hasn't changed I, amen i agree um but like i don't that doesn't necessarily mean that the way you react is going to make for a healthy economy like it, it almost seems to me like they took two guys who knew like hardly anything about economics and just <laughs> said we're I was, we don't have any economists to talk to so we're just going to interview you about the economy because I, I am just struggling to think how this isn't how how is this not embarrassing for them?
2: Actually, even, I mean, even from a non, I would say even from a non-Christian perspective, if you look at it, like so many great businesses were born out of like yes. these recessions. Um, so. I don't know that like i'd say like ray ray dalio just has a book on debt crises that just came out and he's he talks a lot about like how um you know basically uh there's no perfect balance in terms of how debt can be uh kind of loaned out so um, there's always either an oversupply of debt or undersupply of debt and so that's why we have these bubbles that form and those are just natural human tendencies uh so i think in a lot of ways, from a secular standpoint, those are healthy rhythms as well. Yeah. Uh, so, from an economic standpoint, I don't know that. I see like a huge divide, um, but I think uh, there are probably certain instances in history where um, those that were in the governing bodies um, maybe didn't desire uh, the, some of the things that we desire, like like justice and productivity and creativity and seeing those and, and diversity and, the, and seeing those things. So, so here's here's a key thing. They're struggling to figure out how is it different between
0: Christian economics and regular economics, so non-Christian. And it's a desire for justice and diversity. That's what Christians bring to the table.
2: What?
1: Happened. Yeah. Uh, We have some time. Let's talk about this. Capitalism? Yeah. Talk about this
2: capitalism uh, i would say yeah that's uh, that's a, a really good question capitalism. i think like uh it's probably to me a system that works um it is most aligned with the reality of us as humans um i think uh humans naturally um try to maximize uh value um and capitalism is about Um, really allowing that extraction of value to happen. So I think like when you don't allow for the natural order of things to happen for example like in a communist economy um, the incentives are not uh, the right incentives because our natural incentive is to want to maximize things. The communist sort of philosophy doesn't allow us to do that and so people are not incentivized to do the things that they would want to do and therefore like like San Francisco, are demotivated yep. to do anything. Yep, um, so I think like it's the best system. The reason why it works to some extent, in my opinion, is because we're sinful. We yeah. want to, we're selfish and, it, and capitalism recognizes that. Yeah. Yeah. So right I think without that. proper proper sort of regulation in place, um, there there's a lot of danger behind it too as well. Because yeah. like on the one hand, it's he- healthy because it recognizes we that go. we're sinful, but without the proper boundaries yeah. in place, then that sinfulness gets extracted to its, to its highest level, which is, you know, why we see huge amounts of inequality um, with capitalism. So in one sense, he's right, you know, th- but why bring the inequality in? Like,
0: is inequality really a problem? Is that what, does God have an issue to Christians? Should they have an issue with inequality? Um, if, if the poorest are down here in San Francisco, the streets of San Francisco, they still have access to facilities and food and shelter if need be, which they do. And um, you have uh, the rich way up here. Is that morally wrong? Does that mean one is stealing from the other? No, not necessarily. And it, it's amazing to me that even those who are homeless on the streets of San Francisco, they have more wealth, more access to wealth, you know, actual physical, tangible, like food, than many people in third world countries throughout the whole entire world. By by world standards they're actually not doing too bad, which is amazing the 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 lowest of the low in our society is is doing better than many people commonly live in third world countries or people or how people commonly live even just you know take three hundred years ago in many places, even in the west it, it's just it's astounding to me that that like, that's the, uh, it shouldn't be. This is the gospel coalition, right? I was waiting for it. Capitalism is good, I think. Yeah, it's okay. They're kind of like wishy-washy on it. And then it's like, but you know, like it creates a problem, inequality. Um, That's not a problem. <laughs> inequality for stealing is a problem, but are, is that what
2: you're suggesting? You're suggesting someone's stealing? Which is, you know, why we see huge amounts of inequality um, with capitalism. So uh, yeah. what, what, what what about you? What do you think about I don't know if you have time, but I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> Completely okay. agree.
1: Yep.
2: That was
0: it. All right. So, um <laughs> so that's the Gospel Coalition on economics, and I you can't make it up. I don't know what they were thinking when they made that video, but there it is. So, um I'm going to be doing some videos in the next few weeks that are going to be kind of hard hitting. I'm um, planning on at least, and uh, you're not going to want to miss those. Thank you for all your support uh, this year is going to be interesting. I think it's going to be busier than last year in some ways and um, uh, it's gonna I think tensions are rising uh, with in regard to the social justice battle and so um, your support is is very much um, appreciated and uh, you know I, I do what I do because I love the church and even if this is just a temporary thing that I'm doing to shine a spotlight on um, a, a problem that exists and I, I'm, I'm going to do it. Um, I think uh, the Lord deserves our best, and um, he deserves uh, to be worshipped the way that the book says to worship him. And there's a lot of um, evangelicals, unfortunately, that want to go outside of this, and they want to take their cues from the world. And so I hope that this has at least awakened a sense within you to watch out for that. Uh, God bless you in the year 2020. Bye now.
1: Ah, spring.
0: Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about. In your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Bill Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members of TIC, Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com/disclosures for details.